Thanks for downloading Making Waves from the University of Portsmouth. I'm Trudy Monk, and in my day job, I champion and support the incredible alumni of our university. We're really proud of our graduate community and how they're making their mark and finding solutions to global challenges. These interviews showcase how our alumni are making positive changes in their businesses, communities and careers. In this first series, we're focusing on the environment. What our alumni are doing in this space goes hand in hand with what the university is doing to ensure an environmentally sustainable future, including making the bold commitment to being climate positive by 2030. By empowering our community and coming together, we know we can make a huge difference. In this episode, my colleague John Worsey speaks to Tristan Thorne about making Portsmouth City carbon neutral by 2030. Many cities and organisations have made similar pledges in recent years. But what does it actually take to turn a pledge into a result? It is a, a really monumental challenge. To become net zero by 2030 was well above and beyond other targets for national government. The main kind of change in tack was to focus on what we as a council could target by what was in our sphere of influence. So, what are the biggest changes that Portsmouth will need to make in order to become carbon neutral in the next 10 years? Let's hear from Tristan as he launches his strategy. This is Making Waves. Okay, thank you. So, Tristan Thorne, you have joined me. Thank you very much. And uh, Tristan, you're a strategy advisor, climate change uh, at Portsmouth City Council to these days. And I know that you graduated from Portsmouth twice. In fact, you uh, graduated your bachelor's, your undergraduate degree in 2012. Uh, and then you came back for a master's, which you graduated from uh, in 2016. So four years ago, as we write. Um, so I've mentioned you're a strategy advisor at uh, Portsmouth City Council. Tell us a bit about what you're doing with your life today and what that involves. Uh, so as the strategy advisor, the the main part of my job is coordinating all the departments in the council so that we hit our target become net zero carbon emissions by 2030. Mm-hmm. So at the moment, I've um, recently finished drafting the strategy on how we're going to get to that goal wow. by Cal on it a couple of weeks ago. Um I also work to support the Portsmouth Climate Action Board, which was um, started by Portsmouth City Council, but is an independent organisation. Through that, we're trying to coordinate different groups, businesses and institutions in the city to work together to achieve our goal to be net zero by 2030. Gotcha. Okay. So, I mean, drafting the uh, the city's strategy for for reaching net zero that's a uh, that's a massive undertaking. I'm sh- it must be hugely hugely complex. I'm, I'm... Uh, yeah, so it's um it's very much an interim sort of living document, and yeah. I've talked to other councils and sort of like universities as well, and it is a a really monumental challenge mm. and. It was quite reassuring that other people that seemed to agree from other councils that to become net zero by 2030 was like uh, well above and beyond other targets for like the yeah. national government. So 
the main kind of change in tack was the focus on what we as a council could target by what was in our sphere of influence. So things like transport in the city, we had quite a lot of control over. Yeah. Whereas how we get energy from the national grid, it's we can't really control if the national grid completely decarbonizes by 2030. Yeah. So it's more focusing or prioritizing on the things that we do have a control over. Sure. And then sort of working to lobby or influence the things we don't have so much control over. Gotcha. Okay, so in terms of fully achieving that strategy over the next 10 years, then it's a combination of these are the things that we as a city can definitely implement uh, and then this percentage of uh, of the goals um, is, is actually going to be a case of lobbying hard for, for government to uh, take the right kind of action. Is that a fair, fair kind of summary of uh, what success is going to look like? Yeah, yeah. And that was um, part of the uh, the purpose of the climate board where they can go kind of beyond the boundaries of the city council's authority. Because yeah. things like um, heating in people's own homes, we, the council as an authority, can't go into someone's home and demand that they turn the heating down. Mm. And that's where it's something like an external organisation that can kind of like... Um, nudge people in the right direction or lobby for better uh, insulation and buildings and that sort of thing. Right. And um, is it then a, quite a broad combination of, of initiatives then? So a combination of, as you've suggested, that sort of nudging people into behavioural change combined with um, potentially sort of legislated uh, actions that people have to take um, and then also a combination of um, influencing the uptake of, of different technologies uh, that might become available uh, yeah, so that's uh, one of the other difficult things is kind of getting the balance between doing kind of soft nudges to get mm. people to make small changes, which they still add up, but quite reasonably, for instance, in Portsmouth, when people, you can say you should ride your bike more often, but then people are fearful to ride their bikes because the infrastructure isn't considered to be safe enough. Yes. So, yeah, it's hard to get a balance between people not doing anything and waiting till it's, the conditions are perfect and mm. the other end of asking people to make all the changes but not making any systemic changes to help permit that change yes yeah it's i imagine that um uh so our, our audience for this or a great great deal of uh, the people who might listen to this will be uh, alumni of portsmouth and i know that many of them uh, like yourself having come here from plymouth to study and, and stuck around afterwards a lot of a lot of a lot of those people will be resident or will you know still have quite strong ties to the city one way or another um without asking you to kind of uh expound on the entire strategy which i understand is work in progress is, are there any uh, particular things that you think are especially exciting that somebody who who sort of cares about the city would be interested to know about that you're able to share with us um, I don't know if it's too kind of technical or boring, but something that is kind of exciting, having lived here for about 10 years now, is mm. getting the uh, new food waste incinerator. Um, ah, yeah. So in already in Southsea, there's a food waste collection trial going on. And um, I think most people in Portsmouth have complained about the lack of recycling. And having now been at the council, I'm hearing all the kind of limitations about how narrow streets are um how hard it would be for curbside collection with the congestion mm. it does seem quite um uh positive that the food waste collection is going ahead and how they might be 
I think they are building a new food waste incinerator that will generate energy. And I think that saves a phenomenal amount of um, carbon emissions. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I know they've been really pleased with the uptake. Um, it's been a lot on, on the trial that they've done through um, South Sea and other areas. I know that the uptake of uh, people actually making use of those little plastic food waste bins has been a lot higher than I, I believe the council expected, which is a really great sign for the future. Yeah, definitely. The um, yeah, because I've got one in my house, and it seems yeah, I couldn't see why anyone would be against it. It seems quite an easy thing to do, and it's not that much hassle. And it's something I'm not sure if it's how how positive it is for people to feel like actually doing something. It's something tangible you are doing every day that makes you consciously think of sort of carbon or emissions and absolutely sort of environmental concerns yeah definitely definitely i i I mean speaking anecdotally the only challenge i have with it is putting it somewhere that the dog can't get to it although i suppose (laughs) in fairness that that is a form of uh uh, sustainable recycling isn't it if he just eats all the food waste then um, (laughs) there you go maybe that's even better for for carbon emissions yeah Um, anyway moving on um so I know your uh, your your role title now is um, strategy advisor hyphen climate change. Um, is climate change, sustainability, the environment is that a particular uh, passion for you, or is your interest uh, more uh, being able to get involved in influencing, you know, local government strategy and making things work better? What is it that actually motivates you? Uh, so I've always had like a strong interest in climate change and the environment. Um, I think since I was a teenager so being from Plymouth I always um, grew up surfing around the ocean and that's yeah. another reason I quite enjoy living in Portsmouth is like the connection to the ocean um, however at university I did study international relations and the European um, studies part of it as well I was always interested in just almost all global issues and global themes so yeah. also how interconnected they are and the more you kind of look at climate change, the the sort of science is, is kind of well established now and it's just kind of influencing policy changes Yes, that actually make a difference. And then how they're connecting with things like poverty and inequality. Oh, yeah, it's, they're so interconnected where it's, it's helpful that I did have, have study other sort of subjects at university mm. as well as being interested in environment. Yeah. Why, um, this may seem an obvious question uh, to answer, and hopefully it does, but why does it matter to you to uh, make a difference there in terms of environmental sustainability? Um, well, yeah, there's lots of pressing things in the um, in the news that makes it quite um, topical at the moment, but I think it's because I hadn't really... Um, worked for local government already put my degree to use before now i work more in retail and procurement right and so i just really thought i i wanted to make use of my degree and i wanted to actually kind of i don't know it seems cliche but it's like make a difference and actually yes. implement some changes mm. and yeah instead of kind of just moaning about things around the dinner table and stuff actually get involved and try and make a difference yeah yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've talked already about um, your developing a strategy that's going to see the city through the next 10 years to hopefully achieve net zero emissions by 2030. So that's one um, huge 
potential outcome of the work that you're doing now. What else would you like to see change over the next decade as a result of this strategy and the work that you're doing? What kind of uh, maybe would you like to see people doing differently or how would you like it to impact on uh, our local environment or even on the wider world? Um, so I think locally to Portsmouth, I'd say the most striking thing is about how, especially coming from Plymouth, where it's quite a big, hilly city, mm. and what strikes me about Portsmouth is how small, condensed, it's like, the, I think, the most densest city outside of, well, probably the most densest city in the UK now. Uh, it's also a flat island, yes. and we could really kind of excel as a cycling or walking city, but it's not really doesn't feel like that sort of city when you were here so i think over the next 10 years if we're going to tackle carbon emissions i think one of the easiest sectors we could address would be transport in the city Mm. um i know there's a lot of issues like um the cost of buses seems quite expensive relative to other cities here and there's a lot of of political like central government issues about resolving that but there are other smaller things like cycling and infrastructure we can improve within the next 10 years yes those kind of changes um obviously they're going to you know the, the goal is um reducing carbon emissions down to net zero what 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 do those kind of things translate into um in terms of how they affect individual people's lives you know so if we have net zero emissions what difference does that make if more people are taking uh public transport rather than using their cars more people are using their bikes rather than uh, driving. What, what sort of difference does that make on a sort of individual human level, would you think? Uh, so the kind of great value of like a lot of the climate emission reducing policies, oh, they have so many co-benefits to help. So obviously cycling and walking, would it would make um, people a lot fitter and healthier in the city, so reducing obesity and those mm-hmm. sort of health-related issues. Uh, it also improves well-being. So if we also get uh, nicer public spaces with more greenery and trees, that most studies show that improves well-being and yeah. wellness amongst the population. And then if there's less traffic, it means there's less air pollution. That means people will be encouraged to do more walking and cycling. Um, but then the the other long-term benefits are well, obviously reducing climate change. So by as an island city, we're very um, susceptible to flooding and sea level rises so yes yeah we're very much for the benefit by i guessing like 2060 or 2050 if we don't curtail emissions we'll have a lot more flooding in the city right oh i see just because of the the sort of cumulative impact on rising sea levels yeah so um i know we're getting the sea defenses put in but on the the sort of like worst case scenarios you get from the ipcc that if we don't really do anything globally to reduce emissions, that, yeah, our city would be particularly at risk to things like flooding. Yeah. Just topographically and being exposed to the ocean. Yeah. And I mean, that really brings home how much of this has to be um, a global change and um, a, a question of countries across the world really getting on the same page in relation to sustainability and the environment, in relation to carbon emissions um, and all the ways in which they're manifested. Um, 
you've mentioned obviously that you work with the Climate Action Board, which has that slightly different and slightly wider remit to your work with the City Council. Um, and you mentioned Revolution Plastics, which is driven by um, the University of Portsmouth and Professor Steve Fletcher here, who's our um, theme director for research into sustainability and the environment, is uh, not only is the, the chair of the Climate Action Board, but also, uh, as you'll know, is a driving force behind Revolution Plastics as well, which um, really, for the benefit of anyone listening to this who, who isn't familiar with it, it's, um, it's a very ambitious initiative to change uh, humanity's relationship to plastic. Um, a big part of it is about building a circular recycling economy. Um, so it's not about getting rid of plastic, but it is about making plastic sustainable uh, so that we stop having these issues where plastic just is used once and goes out into the world and spends, you know, around 450 years gradually degrading um, because it does far too much damage uh, along the way. And part of the um, uh, goal with Revolution Plastics is to do something really exciting for the city of Portsmouth, which is to sort of use the city um, as a showcase to, to turn Portsmouth into a shining example of best practice um, in relation to plastics, in relation to sustainability. Um, now, obviously, that really um, plays into what you're talking about in relation to uh minimizing the rising of sea levels because if if Portsmouth can become an example to the to the world uh then we'll really be um you know not just through achieving net zero with with the council but also uh um through all of the many far-reaching changes that uh, that this revolution plastics uh project could could uh, bring about um we could really really be making quite a positive difference in that sense um so having it expanded at great length on that, I'm wondering uh, how you feel about that. Uh, yeah, definitely. The the sort of issue that people raise is like um, how is a global issue and about the emissions and how we only play a small part in it as a city. But yeah, by leading as an example and especially the, the university through research as well, by showing how as a developed city, or a developed nation and a city exposed how we could lead the change and lead by example and maybe it even involved trial and error and trying new things but yeah. I think we have a responsibility especially as maybe even Portsmouth in itself was at the driving one of the driving forces of the carbon emissions and coal and the industrial revolution in the 1800s so yeah we, we've definitely got a lot of um expertise in the city and a lot of engineering and institutions that can help kind yes. of change change how we um operate in the world yeah definitely um obviously we've we've mentioned how you are uh linked at the moment professionally with uh researchers and academics from the university of portsmouth i'm curious to know whether you work either at the city council or uh with the climate action board do you work with any other portsmouth alumni or even current students um, so recently, uh, I think the last two weeks, actually, I've done, I've been doing about three days a week working at the university in the innovation center oh, yeah. with the revolution plastics team. Yeah. So that came about, um, yeah, very recently and it just, it made sense to be with, um, you know, the revolution plastics yeah. and to, like kind of like bounce ideas across from each other. If someone was researching certain part, we could just share, um, 
ideas on and research topics. So I know it's only been a couple of weeks, but it's already been quite quite helpful. Yes. And I think to, maybe for the university to learn the, the sort of limitations of a council of like what we can actually realistically get done, what's within our remit, what we can and can't change. Yes. So, yeah, it's early days at the moment, but that's been helpful just to get going. Yeah. Do you think there potentially is down the line going to be scope for um, any alumni who live locally or for, or for students themselves during their studies to get involved in any of the initiatives that might come out either of uh, Climate Action Board, Revolution Plastics or the um, the City Council strategy? Uh, yeah, I think so. I know um, it's quite early on, but we've definitely been kind of, I have and I think the university team has been kind of extending out to the further networks to see who's already researching it. Because like we mentioned earlier about how many different subjects like climate change and achieving net zero, it touches so I have talked at um, like other departments, even at the council, about the impacts of heat on crime and those sorts of things. Mm. And there's also, I know Revolution Plastics, there's the, an app that's just been developed that's just used by, um, I think, I'm not sure if it's students, but it's out publicly as well, to photograph plastic waste in the city and try and track it, where the heat spots, where's the... Yes. The main culprits and that sort of thing. Yeah, the Jetson app, which I don't know if you know, but that was actually um, the the software developer behind it is actually a Portsmouth uh, alumni as well, or alum, I should uh, say. Oh right, yeah. Yeah, Louis. He's uh, I've, I've uh, spoken to him for this uh, this project as well. Yeah, he's a really really interesting guy. I mean, your role. Um, yes, yeah, sorry. Sorry, no. I think I thought I just cut up. Yeah. Okay. So your role, I mean, it's, it's a fascinating job that you've got. Um, really big responsibility as well. And um, obviously, it's, it's, um, it's four years since your master's and only eight years since you graduated your undergrad. So it's a, it's a heck of a responsibility to have on your shoulders um, so relatively quickly uh, into what is no doubt going to be a long career. I would like to, in a moment, sort of turn the clock back and look at uh, what your journey has been to get to that point. Um, but before I do that, let me ask you, is there anything um, about your work that you would really want people to know that we haven't already talked about? Um, no, I think I've covered most of it. I think it's... um. The thing I found most eye-opening when I started working at the council, as being someone who kind of just grumbled about the council yes. around the dinner table, was yeah how much um, work there is already going on. And I think that's been a big part of my job, is basically just accumulating what we're already doing and how we can share that with um, other councils in the area. And yeah. a lot of things were done not exactly specifically through a carbon change, a climate change or carbon emission reduction, it was just other sort of energy saving things, for instance, yeah. where they saved energy and as a co-benefit, we did reduce our carbon our carbon emissions. So, yeah, that was the only other thing. It's just um, a lot of it is kind of coordinating and collaborating information and then sharing with other councils, which seemed quite a, if you come from a private business or industry, mm. the how often you kind of just directly communicate with other councils to work together is a little different to if you're in a private company, you wouldn't really think to yes. call up another competing company and ask how they're getting on. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it's quite, it's quite heartening to hear, really, that there is that degree of collaboration and knowledge sharing and uh, kicking ideas back and forth. Um, because as, as we've talked about, you know, particularly in this field of making the world a more sustainable place, you know, you, you have to be uh, working together um, because it's only only by accumulative effort that we're going to make these things uh, happen in a way that works. So, yeah, let's let's look at how you got to where you are today then um Tristan what what sort of uh, what sort of circumstances led you uh, to your current role and uh, who's maybe helped you along the way um so when I all the way through university and through my masters I just worked in retail just because you kind of naturally end up working in retail when you're studying sure and then from that I kind of gradually progressed up to working in a, a head office at for Wiggle, the cycling company uh-huh. in Lakeside, just outside of Portsmouth. So that was a lot of um, sort of supply and demand. So it's related to my um, my degree in international relations, but it didn't feel. Yeah, I kind of kind of fell into that that industry, and then I just wanted to do something that was a bit more related to my degree. Mm. Um, I think the main support I've always had throughout was just because I've been with my wife for about 12 years now uh-huh. um we only got married recently but she also studied all the way through so she did a master's as well so she's like the main source of support having some like just proofread essays even when you've been working quite late yeah um so yeah that was a, the main thing you kind of take for granted when you're studying and working just having like a stable partner at home yeah so you uh you graduated from your first degree in international relations in 2012 uh and you graduated from your masters which was international relations and european studies uh in 2016 how did your time at the university of portsmouth sow the seeds for what you're doing today or help you get to where you are today um so i really liked portsmouth university and chose to study there again because the and compared to other friends gone to other universities, their experiences, I really um, appreciated how much time we kind of got in seminars, for instance, to actually probably talk in detail with the lecturers. Yeah. And that's what I looked for in when I was doing my master's, if I was going to commit to it for um, a couple of years studying part time, I really want to get a lot out of it. So, yeah, the main thing was being able to talk in depth and like I said with climate change, there's so many issues that are interconnected. You really need to get into quite detailed um, topics to get yes. your head around even like the simplest sort of issues in it. Yeah. So I think that's one of the main things I've had from my degree is just being able to look at a problem from different um, perspectives, really, of what's the implication of this, what's the other pressures that are feeding into it and yes. those sort of things. I'm curious to know, was your plan always to come back and do a master's after your first degree or did did that uh, change as a result of your experiences professionally that you decided, actually, I want to come back and um, get get a postgrad under my belt? Uh, no, I didn't have any real plans when I originally graduated. It was just um, because I always uh, had an interest. Like, I was interested in... Um, like the environment beforehand and I, I always had it kind of like in the back of my mind that it's just something that's interesting to do yeah um i yeah I, I wasn't that kind of 
um, connected to my job at the time. So that's why I did it part time. So I wasn't really throwing myself into my work. And that's why I thought I didn't really want to. Basically, everything you could have done is do an unpaid internship in London for a year or two or save up some money and do a a master's instead, which would be, which I found a lot more rewarding. Yes. So how many years did you do your master's over? Was it a two year part time or three years? Uh, two year part time. Two years. How did you find that as an experience? Uh, hard. It's um. It's a lot to balance, isn't it? it? Yeah, it can't. Yeah, it teaches you a lot about um time management, and then it makes you think. Now, when I think I have got any time in the day, where I think actually I probably do because I used to yeah kind of work in the day and then in the evening do a little bit more university work. So yeah, that's why I kind of think about my like the support I have from my wife and how I think because she'd also done a master's she is quite understanding yeah and it's one of those things that you just kind of took for granted at the time did you find that um the way the course uh was structured was kind of helpful as much as it can be in relation to understanding uh you know that you're you're a part-time student who's got a full-time job uh yeah yeah so that was the other thing with um being able to see the the lecturers yeah. Being able to probably talk to them, whereas um, I know friends who've done masters at other universities who, like the university, probably wouldn't the lecturer probably wouldn't even know their name, and it would just be they right. maybe get one email every two weeks. Where this is where I wanted to get as much value out of my time that I had to spare as possible. So having a one or two hour seminar, I knew I'd get a lot out of it. Yeah, oh, that's great to hear. If you can cast your mind back to, I guess, what two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Can you recall um, why you chose to study at Portsmouth in the first place? Um, uh, I think it was mainly, I was quite a while ago now, I think because yes. I was quite interested in international relations and politics, and it seemed mm. like the syllabus reflected a lot of the, the things I'd been reading at that relatively young age that yeah. I was interested in. So I think it was like, just global issues at the time, like humanitarian intervention and also, um, I can't remember the other things were now. I think strategic challenges and security, securitization. It's just it covered quite a range of the topics that I was interested in yeah. at the time. Do you ever think that in terms of your sort of future career, do you, do you uh, like the idea that you might one day decide to work internationally? Uh, yes. Yeah. I have thought about, um, about, yeah, at some point, maybe working internationally. I know it'd be a little difficult now. I might have to get, um, an Irish passport, which I'm eligible for if we leave the EU. Oh, lucky you. Uh, Yeah. So I have, I have like, that's why recently I've been considering it, like how, because it's not cheap. And I think because I have that in the the back pocket, I would need to work abroad. There you go. That's that's the strategic mindset in action there, already <laughs> figuring out what happens if uh, if free movement does come to an end. Um, just one last question that I'd like to ask you. That I'd like to ask everyone. Um, when you think back to your time at Portsmouth, at the university, what do you think of? Um. 
mainly, I don't know, I think I've mentioned it so much now, just like the seminars. So I remember being at the Mill Dam um, uh, building, building yeah. was where we were mainly based. And it's quite nice. It's more like um, just like small rooms as opposed to the big lecture uh, theatres. So, yes. yeah, I really appreciate being in those small rooms and uh, like a small group of maybe five or six students and just being able to talk about an issue yeah. in a, a sort of more relaxed way. I think they're the, the sort of sessions I remember most. Yeah, and that probably prepared you quite well for sitting in small rooms now, hashing out strategic <laughs> yeah. ideas and... Um, yeah, th- throwing all kinds of uh, ideas and opinions around about how to bring about some really, really important changes, which uh, really grateful that you're doing. Um, Tristan, thanks so much for your time. Uh, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. Is there anything else that you would like to say before uh, we bring this conversation to a close? Uh, no, no, I think everything was covered that I'm thinking of. That's great. Well, thank you for everything that you're doing, and uh, I wish you all the very best of luck. It's exciting to imagine that in the next 10 years, Portsmouth could have a very different infrastructure. And it's also interesting to think about how this might impact our well-being and health. One thing's for certain, we will all need to refresh our cycling skills. Thanks for listening to this episode of Making Waves. You can find more inspiring interviews with University of Portsmouth alumni by subscribing to this series on your podcast app. And if you'd like to get involved and make some waves of your own, let us know by emailing alumni at port.ac.uk or click on alumni from the Portsmouth homepage.